This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. I regret to inform you, you're on Chapel Probation, a podcast that takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities. And I'm your host, Scott Okamoto. Greetings, reprobates. Quick announcement. I will be up in the Pacific Northwest uh, in the first week of December. My wife, Jerry, has a dental class in Seattle for the week, and she had a free uh, Southwest companion ticket, so I'm going to. I'll be working from there in the hotel, and I wanted to have a couple of book tour kind of hangs, since, since that's what authors do, I'm told. So on Tuesday, December 5th, I'm taking the train down to Portland, and I'll be hanging at the Lucky Labrador on Hawthorne from 7 p.m. to whenever. A bunch of the local folks you've heard on this ep- on this podcast will be there, like Chrissy Stroop, uh, Ben, Tori Williams-Douglas, and Aaron Green, and many others. And then on Thursday, December 7th, I'll be in Seattle at Drumlin, a really cool bar up in the north end of town from 7 to whenever. Um, in addition to celebrating my being in town uh, in Seattle, I'll be joined by the co-hosts of the Veterans of Culture Wars. Uh, the podcast Um, and they're celebrating their 100th episode so that's pretty epic the analytics tell me that i have a bunch of listeners up that way so please come say hi i would love to meet you today we have the honor of hearing from someone who wishes to remain anonymous we're going to refer to her as k kind of like the men in black right Um, now k messaged me a while back and wanted to tell her story for the very first time like no one has heard this story and if you listen to last week's episode with Sarah Hen Hayward this is the perfect follow-up Kay here did everything she could to seek out the answers she just knew had to be out there can you relate she was a devout completely committed Christian living out her faith unapologetically at UCLA no less But Kay's quote-unquote problem was that she was and is both highly intelligent and deeply empathetic, like Sarah last week. Uh, Turns out these two characteristics are kind of a death knell to evangelical faith. Yeah, I said it. Not sorry. I'll go by just (laughs) Kay. That's the first letter of my first name. Um, my pronouns, she, her, yeah, I'm just regular private citizen who happens to be a big fan of the show. So I wanted to come on and sort of add my voice to the conversation. Yeah. I'm so glad you contacted me. This is, it's, it's always awesome to hear people's individual stories. And I think telling your story will help people too. So yeah, thanks for joining the conversation. Yeah, definitely. So what were you like at 18 entering UCLA? So I guess for for context, I grew up um, born and raised in Southern California. And my entire life until I was 18 years old, I had 
attended a Southern Baptist church, which I think is a little rare for Southern California. I I didn't know any other people who were raised Southern Baptist, but yeah, like I was, I was all in. It was all I knew. I wasn't really familiar with more liberal forms of Christianity. So some of the ideas that I had um, that I was brought up with that I was sort of taking into UCLA were the Bible is literally true. None of it is metaphor or symbolic. It's all literally true. Even the parts that contradict themselves, they don't actually. So (laughs) we would just ignore (laughs) that young earth creationism so the earth was only six thousand years old and yeah the fossils carbon 14 dating <laughs> i just didn't think about that <laughs> uh rapture theology like you know really the sort of like the, the left behind series and sort of that really intense um You know, Christians were just going to all get zapped out of existence one day and then all these people would be left behind and it'd be so horrible and awful. And so I definitely experienced like rapture anxiety growing up as a little kid Um, and also a very literal idea of hell being eternal conscious torment. It was not like you know, eternal sleep or just annihilation. It was, no, you would be tortured forever. So yeah, that was, that was how I was brought up. And that was what I thought was normal. What I thought was all kind of Christianity. And if you didn't believe that you weren't a real Christian, real Christian in, in quotation marks. And so I, going into UCLA, I really was very conscious that it wasn't a Christian university. Um, And I really didn't want to be like that sort of stereotypical person who went off to a secular school and then ended up getting seduced by the world and losing their faith. Um, I, I really wanted to prevent that from happening. So I was like, I'm going to take it really, really seriously. I'm going to I'm going to find a church. I'm, I'm going to to make it a priority because um, it was a really big part of my life and a really big part of my identity. One more sort of important thing to mention about me going into to UCLA as, as an 18-year-old is unlike maybe a lot of people who grew up in the churches, I didn't have a close group of friends mm in in the church and i was kind of hoping i would be able to get that when i went to ucla so that was something i was looking forward to but um growing up my family was one of like the only families that actually had like younger kids at my church it was mostly much much older people like retired people and there was a actually a, a more young like cool hip church um in in my town if if i told you the name of it you would be very familiar Uh with it and so all the like younger families and younger kids from my school they all went there and they had like a really tight youth group and stuff but i really didn't have that um 
my dad was a deacon at my Southern Baptist church and, you know, he wasn't going to leave and let us go to that other church because he felt like he had a role there. And yeah, I didn't really fit in with those kids that went to the young cool church. It was all the like, it it was all kind of like the popular kids, like all the popular kids went to, to this church. It was a lot of like, the surfers yeah. and the the skateboarders and I kind of hung out with with the more of like the nerds in, in high school and you know some of them were like religious mm-hmm. I, I didn't know anyone who was a straight up atheist but they didn't like go to church every Sunday like I did so you know I did have friends but I couldn't really connect or relate with them on religious stuff like I didn't really have anyone to talk to about that so yeah going into to UCLA I was kind of looking forward to kind of finally finding a group um yeah yeah and did you (laughs) did you find that group Mm, sort of not really no no (laughs) I did have I had better luck than in high school, but um, so I, I think you went to a UC school yeah, too, UC right? Diego, yeah. So I think okay, yeah, nice. I think like the big campus groups at UCLA are the same. It's like InterVarsity and Crew; um, those are yeah. the big ones. And I, I remember me and my roommate. Um, there's like this this fair that happens during the first week at UCLA where the activities fair where all the clubs and stuff, they have little tents and you go and you sign up. And uh, my roommate happened to also come from a really conservative religious family. She was Pentecostal. And so we were like, Oh, we should go find like a campus fellowship together. And we, um, we went and we signed up for, I think, InterVarsity and crew and then later that week, somebody showed up at our dorm room with like bags of candy <laughs> and there was somebody from InterVarsity and they're like, hey, come to our welcome meeting. And we were really weirded out by that. <laughs> I mean, the candy was yeah. nice, but we were like, we, we didn't think you were going to show up to our dorm. And we we ended up going to their, to the, like the welcome session and not to be mean, but the vibe was really weird. Like everybody was so, everybody was so happy and they were nice, but it was, it was just sort of like, are these people in a cult? Like it came (laughs) off as nice, but almost like forced nice. And I knew I wasn't alone in feeling that because my roommate and I, we like looked at each other and we're like, oh my God, we got to get out (laughs) of here. And I think we left early. It was just like, I think the people were were genuine, but it just wasn't like we just both felt felt awkward. Um, I did notice though that InterVarsity I think had the most Asian people oh. um, out of all the campus fellowships. At least that's how it happened to be at UCLA. I'm half Chinese, so that was kind of cool. And I grew up in an area where there weren't a lot of Asian people, but. Yeah, that one, the vibe just felt off. Um, And, you know, I'm sure the people would have been really nice, but we had, 
there were other options that we wanted to explore. So that was kind of the end of my, my interaction with yeah, the one glorious day. It, it, yeah. Ironically. <laughs> and free yeah, candy. Free candy. If you had gone to the, the popular church, you would have probably felt more comfortable in that setting because that's, you know, the big churches, mega churches, and then university, it's all raw, raw. Yay. I'm so happy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, that speaks, that speaks to your perspective that you, you weren't seeking a super overtly happy, uh, cheerful, uh, group. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a church with like very old people, like in their seventies yeah. and my version of Christianity was maybe a little more like intense like fire and brimstone like we're all just trying to yeah. avoid hell not just you know the happy go lucky so yeah, they paired you well with a pentecostal um, person so that's that seemed that seemed a good yeah. match <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so crew was was like the other really big one and there are a lot of other people on my floor who were involved in crew and actually my roommate one of my roommates my sophomore year of college, she was really involved in crew. So I remember going to their sort of campus fellowships, probably it was my freshman year. But again, I remember feeling like I didn't really like it. And there was a lot of sort of like lack of genuine kindness, like people would sort of pretend or it, the niceness came off as just kind of fake um and i didn't really like going to their big um weekly meetings that were for like the entire campus but then they did do specific dorm bible studies so there was one for for girls that i went to i think most of my freshman year and most of the girls were really nice but once again I didn't feel like I fit in. I always felt like the odd one out. And it's hard to ex really explain why, because the girls were nice and they they were very welcoming to me and they weren't like excluding me or anything, but it, the personalities just, just weren't a match. And the one example I can really think of is that all of these girls were obsessed with the show, The Bachelor, and they would talk about it all the time. And I just remember thinking like, first of all, this show is not very Christian. Right. The sanctity <laughs> like, of marriage. Why are they so obsessed with it? Yeah. Like, you know, treating marriage is kind of like this Game show. competition yeah. Yeah. and yeah. And but they were obsessed with it. They would even have watch parties with it, for it. Um, and I had never watched The Bachelor before. So I remember trying to watch it and just thinking, you know, yes, it's not very Christian, but also this is so dumb. <laughs> like, this is such a stupid, dumb, like, I feel like I'm losing brain yep. cells watching yep. this show. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was just... It was better than nothing. Like I felt like, okay, I'm sort of getting my, like I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm being a good Christian still because I'm still going to these fellowships. But it was, I knew it wasn't ideal and I didn't feel like I was really making good close friends. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Um, like, I'm I'm assuming a lot of this is just from your own church background that that's not the vibe of Christian settings that you're used to. Um, but there sounds like there's like a cultural thing happening here, right, where you're just whether it's pop culture or I, uh, think, I don't think race has anything to do at UCLA, but um, or maybe yeah. I think it's I am um, an introvert naturally I'm, I'm a big introvert so sometimes you know going into these groups with all these like bubbly girls who are all in sororities and stuff like it was just a, a big personality difference for me and I, I do think it was a little bit of a cultural thing because crew was super white mm-hmm. and I am half white and most people can't even really tell that I'm Asian a lot of the time, but I still think I grew up with a stronger Asian influence and I identify more as Asian and it's just, it's just different. So I felt like there was sort of that aspect too. Yeah. At UCLA, I felt like inner varsity was the sort of Asian campus fellowship and then crew was the the white campus fellowship and obviously there were exceptions there were some asian people in crew too but um crew definitely skewed more white did they have the asian christian clubs around then like double acf um asian american christian fellowship or um probably and actually if i remember correctly i think there was an asian fellowship that um was associated with john macarthur's church um i forget what it was called though but i think maybe and that might even be the one that i'm mixing up with inner varsity but i think there there was there were some but i i didn't try those ones out yeah that's probably good anything john macarthur is (laughs) yeah is that (laughs) i did end up going to his church a few times um i mean my parents are big john macarthur fans so um we would usually go as a family to their christmas concert which is really nice like they have some very talented people but i i never really attended his church uh service until later on uh my junior year one of my other roommates her family went there so so i went with her a few times um yeah yeah i i can get into it more later on but he's his version of christianity definitely was part of my deconstruction and eventual complete deconversion so while you're going to, to the undergrad experience you're taking classes in in this you know big amazing school all right do you do you look back and see moments where you're, you know, you're starting to pull the threads of your, of your faith? Definitely. There were, there are three kind of specific things that I wanted to make sure to mention. So, so one of the first thing that I think made a big impact on me was not having to do with any of my classes or any of my Christian fellowships at all but it was meeting gay people and having gay friends and realizing that gay people are just like 
any other people <laughs> and like actually having really close friends who happen to be gay and realizing, yeah, like the, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, and I even remember growing up in my Southern Baptist church, questioning what the big deal about homosexuality was in the first place. And I remember I went to somebody who I, who I looked up to, who I respected, who was an elder in the church and asking, um, so yeah, like about homosexuality, why is that bad? <laughs> I, I get why something like murder yeah. is bad, you know, yeah. you're hurting somebody, but just being gay, just being attracted to people of the same gender, as long as you're in a consensual relationship, like, why is it bad? And what this person told me was, well, it's not the being gay that's bad. It's the gay lifestyle. It's everything that sort of goes along with being gay, like gay people have a higher risk of sexually transmitted diseases and, you know, they're more promiscuous, yada, yada, all this stuff. And I was just like, okay. Yeah. And at that point, I didn't really know many gay yeah. people. So I was like, I guess I'll just take that. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't the best answer, but I was like, well, that's at least something. Yeah. But then when I went to college and I had gay people, gay guys who were um, on the same floor as me in my classes that I would study together with, I realized, like, none of that is true. There is no, like, quote unquote, gay lifestyle that it just encompasses all gay people. And in terms of, like, promiscuity and drug use and drinking, like way more straight people were yeah, doing that stuff right. that I could see. Like, you know, yeah. it was college. Everyone yeah. was going crazy. So yeah, I just realized that line was total bullshit and that person didn't know what they were talking about. And yeah. I think for a fact, I know they'd never talked to right. a gay person. I mean, there's, ever. there's way better, I mean, better, worse, better or worse, biblical <laughs> reasons against homosexuality. That was like the weakest argument a Christian can make. It wasn't even a good, Yeah, like I know yeah. how to make the arguments. I don't agree with it, obviously, but like, yeah, I know the verses that they cite and, um, yeah, that was a, that's an interesting one. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of like one of the, the first things that made me sort of think like, okay, maybe some of the people who were telling <laughs> me things when I was growing yeah. up didn't know what yeah. they were talking about. Yeah, I I had the same experience um, at UC San Diego. Um, exact same trajectory as you. Meeting gay people is just like, huh? I was picturing like fire breathing, you know, depraved looking people that wanted to steal my soul, and uh, hmm, they weren't that. Yeah, <laughs> no, and it's like, so I studied statistics in college, but you don't need to be a statistician <laughs> to know that correlation does not imply causation. Yeah. So I think there are some statistics that say that, you know, certain diseases or certain behaviors show a higher prevalence in like the gay population, but that doesn't mean that being gay causes that. It's like, of course, you know, if people are being kicked out of their houses or rejected or being treated terribly by society, like second-class citizens, yeah. 
maybe that's going to manifest itself in in certain ways. So it's just like, you know, the situation, you just have to real, you realize there's just more, more yeah, nuance to it than sure. that. And it's not just something you take at face value. Um, yeah. I mean, so yeah, I, that was the first sort of All right, domino, first domino down. really fell for me. <laughs> <laughs> so even though three is known as like a biblical number, do I, do I have that right? Was it Jesus's favorite number or something? There were three big moments that Kay identifies as death blows to her faith. The first, as you just heard, was meeting gay people and being their friends. If you read my book, that was a big one for me too. But the next two, well, let's just say you probably never guess what they are if you're thinking about any typical stories of deconstruction. These are personal experiences unique to Kay here. And if, and for anyone listening who might be wondering why or how we deconstructed, it's not just about trauma and harm. In fact, we accept trauma and even harm when we are good Christians. Paul tells us to count it a blessing when we suffer for God. For people like Kay, me and Sarah last week and so many others that you've heard it's all about just trying to make sense and sense is not something evangelical Christians can really claim I mean come on think about it they want you to believe in an invisible God who, who sent his son Jesus to die for our sins now sins I don't know we, we don't normally think are bad things what they call sins, like lust or following the Sabbath, which weirdly Christians don't even do. And that son, Jesus, got crucified, died, and was re resurrected, and then ascended into heaven. And to add to the confusion, there are four contradictory accounts of this son's life in the Bible. So we were really good at accepting the absurd when we were Christians. Yeah, a little racism, homophobia, misogyny, pfft, child's play. Um, so, so the next thing that really made a big impact on me was, um, and this is when I was involved in crew. This one girl, she she was like, oh, there's going to be um, this event that's happening. This this guy is going to give a talk and he's trying to start up another campus ministry. And he's going to be giving a talk on evolution and disproving evolution or the argument against evolution. And I was yeah. like, huh, yeah, I've never really been able to sort of like straighten that out in my head. I, I should attend this talk and sort of like make sure I know the argument. So I'm actually able to, to defend it because literally what I was told growing up was that um, fossils were either a lie or God created the earth with fossils already in the earth, I guess to kind of trick people. And if you fell for to it, trick us. 
you're going to hell. <laughs> um, yeah. And that carbon 14 dating just like didn't work or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and I knew those arguments weren't good. So I was like, I need to go and see what. Yeah. Like from an expert has to say. Yeah. 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 How'd that go? It went really bad. <laughs> I, <laughs> I show up and it's at a, a church that's right off campus. Um, and first of all, not to be judgy or mean, but like the guy, he's this young white guy and it's sort of the very stereotypical, like hipster pastor of the time. This maybe was like 2013 or 2014. He's wearing skinny jeans that are very distressed, <laughs> like a, a t-shirt, a flannel tied around his waist, and he's got a, a faux hawk. And, you know, I grew up in a Ooh. church where the pastor was like 70 years old and wore a suit. Yeah. <laughs> so I was immediately like, oh, it's, it's one of those churches. Um, yeah. But, you know, I figured, it. you know, I, I wasn't going to judge him too much. I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. And he, it wasn't a, a debate or anything. He, it was just him talking. And it was really bad. And I went in fully thinking that yeah. I was going to agree with everything that he said. Um, and I think everybody there, like nobody was there to it was all people from like crew and stuff. So everybody was really there to like support him. But essentially what his argument was, was that, you know, for, for humans and life to have evolved on planet earth in this universe, like, uh, like too many things would have had to line up perfectly just right and that just seems like such a stretch it's it's way more believable that god always existed and and just god made it happen and when i realized that was his argument i was like what are you kidding me that's it that is a horrible argument and i i went up and i tried to to talk to him afterwards and I was like, yeah. I, I'm please a, tell me there's more. Like I'm a Christian. Like I'm not trying to like disagree with you, but like, yeah. don't you think that it's just as big of a stretch that like God always existed and like God just one day decided to create the earth and humans and you know, all, all this stuff. And he was just told, it was like a blank slate. Like he did not get where I was coming from at all. So it was really disappointing to me. And I was just really struck by like the hubris that he had to, to really think like he could just come and seemingly do no research because there are, you know, there are like, like you said, arguments that aren't necessarily good arguments, but there are like, yeah. there are better arguments. Um, right. You could have given a better talk. Yeah, I, I really thought I could have. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I, I walked away from that. Not that my, not really like that my faith was shaken, but just being really disappointed at him and sort of realizing like if there was a really easy, straightforward answer, then, well, then everybody would be Christian, right? Like if it was super obvious, um, then it wouldn't require faith. Um, and, you know, it, it right. like there's a reason why not everybody is a Christian. It's not like the most obvious logical answer. So 
like scientists aren't all just stupid and trying to hide stuff from people. So that was kind of my takeaway, but I, it, it made me think that I had to do more work on my end to really seriously prove to myself that I, I had a, I had a real belief. Um, and it kind of struck me that like, you know, I wasn't taking my religious beliefs as seriously as my other academic studies. You know, I was going to classes, studying outside of classes, taking tests and everything towards my degree, which was in economics, but I wasn't devoting that much time really to studying Christianity. And when I thought about it, it's like, Chris, my religion is supposed to be the top priority in my life. So I need to try to take it as seriously. And that led me eventually to, so, so something that I knew was that was kind of a, a gap in my religious knowledge was knowledge about the Old Testament. Because let's face it, it's boring. Um, it's hard to read. And we don't follow most of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People just like yeah. ignore all of the stuff that's in there. Um, but it's Except also for the just... gay verse in Leviticus. That's about that's about it. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. And it's so I knew I knew that was that was a gap. So I decided to take a class called Ancient Jewish History, which was you know, the about the history of Judaism, and it covered like the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, a lot of people I noticed on the first day from crew were in that class, because I think they also, you know, maybe had a, a similar interest, or I don't know, maybe some of them, it was for their major. Um, this was totally not for my major, didn't satisfy any GEDs for me, I was taking it for religious purposes. <laughs> yeah. Um and the the professor from the very beginning made it very clear that he was not religious or he didn't he didn't believe in any of like divine inspiration of the Bible. Um and I think that was really hard for some people in that class because people from crew would like try to argue with him about like oh certain prophecies being fulfilled and he would totally be able to like shut him down <laughs> so i think a lot yeah. of them ended up ended up dropping that class um, yeah but he was really nice and he he wasn't like he wasn't like trying to be mean to anybody if if they did have obvious religious beliefs he was just you know he would present yeah an arc a logical argument to them and he you know obviously knew his stuff he had a phd um, yeah. so he, he, he was, um, he wasn't like doing any handholding with these people, but so one of the, the things that I learned in this class was basically the story of the Exodus in the Bible, you know, about Jewish people being enslaved, Moses comes saves them. They leave Egypt, wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, yada, yada, yada. You know, a really big, important story in Christianity, Judaism, 
And if there are any like people who are Christian or Jewish listening to this podcast, they might be really offended right now, but I swear it's just what I learned in the class. But I learned that there is no real historical evidence for any of that. And it's like not something that scholars really, really hold to actually being factual. And this totally shocked me. Because I assumed that the Bible was basically regarded, if you took out all like the magic stuff and all the miracles, could still be relied on um, as a historical document. Like the main events still happened. Turns out, not really true. And I thought for sure, like, for sure, the my textbooks were just biased and my, my teacher was biased and that I must be missing some really good argument. And at this time, I was actually, I was not going to any campus fellowships, but I had found another Southern Baptist church, a really small one, and I was just going to that one on Sundays. And I had a, a friend at that church who was currently in seminary, and he was going to the the master's seminary, which is oh, the one yeah, the associated John with John MacArthur. Yeah, from what I, what he told me, it's like pretty legit. Like they have to learn how to read ancient Greek and stuff. Um, yeah. So I I considered him like kind of the know it all, like the very knowledgeable person. So I went to him, and I was like. I can't believe I just learned in my ancient Jewish history class that there's no historical evidence for the Exodus and, you know, the the Jewish people being enslaved in Egypt, all of these plagues happening. um, Right. And then the wandering around in the wilderness. And I expected him to be like, oh, well, your professor is obviously leaving out this one thing or. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, kind of surprising, isn't it? And I was, <laughs> was like, wait, what? Um, he was like, yeah, no, it's true. There there really isn't any evidence for that. And I was like, okay. It didn't seem to bother him. And basically what he told me was absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Ooh. <laughs> I know. And yeah. I was like, true but it's also not evidence like it was not (laughs) it was not really reassuring to me at all deep down inside i was like that's pretty weak but i felt like wait say say, can you say that again absence of evidence absence of evidence is not evidence not of absence yeah i don't I don't think that's the point he wants to make, actually. But <laughs> I know what he's trying to say. I think but that it might doesn't be a make C.S. a lot Lewis of sense. Quote, actually, um, he didn't come up with okay. that. But yeah, I mean, right? It's no, like, it sounds like C.S. Lewis. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> it sounds nice, but that's yeah, it's like it's not reassuring at all. But I felt like I had to sort of like prove myself, like prove that my faith wasn't weakened. So yeah. I and I, we you had, dig harder, right? Yeah, we had to like write a paper on this evidence and just sort of like talk about the arguments presented in in the books, it, in our textbooks, and it was really straightforward assignment. 
And so I did. And, but that was sort of my, the overarching point in, in my essay, I was like, you know, though there isn't any evidence that doesn't necessarily mean that the stuff in the Pentateuch and didn't happen. And I was like cringing as I was typing it because I knew it was bad. And I thought that my professor was going to give me a really bad grade because the argument was so weak, but I felt like, I don't know, I had to prove myself to God or something. You're taking a stand. Yeah. But surprisingly, my professor, like I said, really nice guy, he gave me an A, maybe A minus, but he was like, yeah, you know, I don't agree with your argument, but it's a well-written essay, like well-structured and you clearly, you know, presented the, the textbook yeah. author's argument well. So, I mean, he was okay. not like the sort of stereotypical God's not dead version of like an atheist yeah. professor that people have who like just has a chip on their shoulder and, you know, hates Christianity. He yeah. he obviously like made his personal beliefs known, but he wasn't I don't know, it's like no professor is gonna waste their time like worrying about what students think, you know, like yeah, or those, believe. Yeah. Those aren't the people they're trying to impress. They're like trying to get published, get tenure. So no professor is gonna go out of their way to like try to deconvert a student or anything. Um yeah, yeah, totally. It's, yeah. Yeah, he was really wow. nice and understanding. And I think he knew, like, he understood where I was coming from, that it would be really yeah. hard for me to to admit to that. So, so yeah. Um, but, yeah, that, so that was another thing that sort of made me realize, you know, peop- the Bible isn't recognized as a historical document. I mean, there are even people who, now I know this, there are even people who doubt the historicity that Jesus was an actual person and not just, and maybe it was just a mythical person. I don't know. And quite frankly, don't care anymore. But at that time, that was just such a huge departure from, from where I had, had started. So yeah, those three things, the the meeting gay people, that one evolution talk and um, the wow. class in ancient Jewish history, those were like three, three additional, <laughs> three dominoes that sort of fell that really ca- caused me to, to deconstruct where I wasn't sort of the hardcore Southern Baptist person that I went into college as I was like, okay, maybe God's cool with gay people. Okay. Maybe some of the, maybe like the creation story is more of a metaphor and evolution really did happen. And, you know, yeah. so that's where I was for, for most of college Um, up until the very end, I was still firmly considered myself a Christian, but definitely had gone through a lot of deconstruction. Yeah. It's really fascinating because your, your story, which you're a lot younger than I am. I was 20 years ahead of you, but it's it's so similar, you know, a lot of the same, same sort of intellectual puzzles that we're trying to solve. You realize, Oh, you can't solve this. Mm-hmm. There's, there, there is no 
you know, golden bullet that, that fixes everything. It's because we're, I think we're raised to think, oh, if I just have this one piece of information, then it's, I'll be fine. But then you realize, oh, it doesn't exist. Yeah. You have to definitely gotta either ignore the whole thing or um, just spend the rest of your life, I guess, searching for it. But um, I think we, we sort of learn to intuit that maybe it's just not there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the second domino to fall was the issue of evolution. And the third was a realization that the Bible is not a historical text or scientific or or any kind of academic thing. These realizations weren't the death blow, though, to Kay's faith. They were significant components in hindsight to her deconstruction, but her life dedicated to finding answers and finding love. Ah, stay tuned. But first, another couple of blows to the faith. So here is where I usually put in those ads for my fellow Dauntless Media podcasters. And Megan and Cortland still haven't recorded their their trailer for for this very purpose. So I got to shout them out this week. They have on Flamey Grant, the, the drag queen, former worship leader, pastor, who who was just doing her thing, but then, like, Sean Foyt called her out and decried her as some kind of evidence of uh, Satan winning or something. And this catapulted Flamey Grant to the top of the CCM charts. So you can hear that interview this week, or last week, on on Thereafter. So go listen to the Thereafter podcast for sure. Also, I'm going to take this opportunity to remind you to register for the content warning uh, it's not a conference hang event event we're going to be breaking down all manner of human sexuality in post-faith life sexual ethics sexual practices guilt shame all the stuff There's, it's going to be an amazing hang with so many people uh, including Megan and Cortland Tori and Justin of the Go Home Bible You're Drunk podcast. They're all organizing it, and a bunch of us are helping plan it, and we will be participating in all the discussions. It's $99, and there's a, a online option for those of you who can't make it out to Portland. So go to contentwarningevent.com to register, and, and I hope to see you there. Hey everyone, I'm Nate from the Full Mutuality Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into this show. We're so grateful that you've decided to spend your time with us. Seriously, Dan, Gail, Jessica, Kathleen, Scott, and the rest of us here at the Dauntless Media Collective couldn't produce content like the show you're listening to without your support. I'd also like to invite you even further into the conversation. Right now, there are some great discussions happening over in the Dauntless Media Collective Discord server. If you're interested in chatting with other folks who are deconstructing and decolonizing the oppressive traditions that they came from, please feel free to hop on into the server. If you don't know what Discord is, it's a place where communities can gather online for chatting on a wide variety of topics, 
In our Discord server, we have channels devoted to general deconstruction conversations, some meme sharing, therapeutic venting about whatever religious bullshit you're currently dealing with, and even a channel specifically devoted to talking about the latest episodes of the podcast you're listening to right now. I hope you'll join us. You can log in directly to the Dauntless server by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to dauntless.fm and clicking the link in the top banner. See you there. All right. So you get out of college. You're still hanging on to your faith. Um, it's, it's shifting, growing, changing. Yeah. So I would say actually, so right before I graduated, that is when things really started to change and sort of aggressively snowball. Um, so as I mentioned, I had really been hoping to find like a friend group of of Christian friends um, in college. And that didn't happen. I sort of, you know, hopped around between these different campus fellowships, but never really found that that connection. And after doing crew, then that little Baptist church, I spent my senior year going to um, this campus group called Reform University Fellowship, which I guess the reformed thing has to do with Calvinism, which I I didn't know at the time. I didn't have any idea, but the people were nice and a little they seemed a little more genuine than crew and they were associated with a church in Santa Monica called Pacific Crossroads. So I was going there and, and it was okay, but I was still not really finding people. Like I was just going to church alone by myself and sitting by myself in this super crowded amphitheater every Sunday. Um, I, I went to like a, a small group during the week Um, that was with people from the church, but they were all way older than me, like in their late twenties and thirties, there were no like students that were going to there, but they were really nice. And I I liked them, but I didn't really have that friendship. Also another thing. Yeah. They're in a whole different phase of life at that, at that age. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like, it was just hard to really relate to them on stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing to know is that I had not ever had a boyfriend um, at this time. So it was my, yeah, it was until my last year of college. I'd like maybe kind of dated guys off and on, but a really difficult thing for me to overcome was the idea of being unequally yoked. So if you're brought up like me, you're, you're taught that you have to date somebody who is also Christian and then, and marry somebody who's also Christian. Um, and that is the most important thing. Um, and I wasn't brought up to think that you could only date for marriage. Like there's some people who think you only date one person and and marrying them. It wasn't like that, but it was like, you should at least be dating Christian people. Um, But, you know, most of the Christian guys that I met, they just they just kind of gave me the ick. Like I was just never (laughs) attracted to them and I I felt kind of bad. Um, I, you know, was more attracted to or like, you know, felt like I had more in common with 
non-Christian guys. And, and the same thing went for like friends too. Like all of my friends, like my roommates, the people that I was close with and ha- had fun with were not the Christian people from crew. Like my roommates, I think were sort of like nominally religious. Like they, they would, a few of them would sometimes go to church with me, but they were still like partying, having sex, smoking weed, drinking, like doing all this stuff that I was kind of sitting back and judging them for like, yeah. Oh man. Um, I can totally relate to that. Well, yeah. But, but I was like, at the same time, I liked them cause they were just more fun and more real than like the, yeah. the Christian group. So I sort of, I sort of, um, kind of isolated myself from the people that I loved because I was taught that they would, they were going to hell. Um, and it was really hard for me to be close to people that I assumed were, were going to be damned to hell for all of eternity. And especially when it came to relationships, like, I was like, how could I ever marry somebody and fall in love with somebody knowing that after they died, they were going to be tortured for all of eternity? Like that would just be too painful for me to even to even go there. So it kind of prevented me from getting close to people as friends. But then also in terms of of dating, I would like maybe go on a few dates with the guy, but then it never really progressed anywhere because I was like, okay, well you have to understand that I'm like hardcore Christian and I have these super intense beliefs. And I knew that I couldn't like try to convert somebody like that. Just, (laughs) I I knew how cringy that would come across. That would come out like a crazy person. So I knew that like, I just had to find like, I guess I just trusted that if I prayed enough, God would sort of, find somebody for me. So I remember in my senior year praying to God and being like, God, please just send me a friend, somebody that I can talk to, not praying for a boyfriend. Like I'm fine. Like that can come later. I'm literally just looking for a friend, um, someone who I, I, who understands me and where I'm coming from. And then, like very shortly after I had this prayer, I ended up meeting this guy. And this guy started off as just a friend. Um, but there was something special about him where I felt like I he understood me more than anyone else I had ever met. Like we came from similar backgrounds. We grew up with similar family dynamics. Um, And I remember thinking like, man, I wish I had met this person earlier in my life. I really wish I had had this person in my life during high school when I felt so alone and I didn't have people to talk to. Um, So this person was, this guy was really special. However, this guy was not a hardcore Christian like me. Um, he was brought up religious, but then had sort of fallen, fallen away. And now, you know, was agnostic or something. Um, 
so yeah, I was like, okay, well, I have him as a friend, but then slowly those feelings started to become more romantic as I got even closer to this person. And that really just freaked me out. So I was like, I can't, like, God, are you testing me or something? Did you put this person in my life that met all of these criteria and like seemed so perfect for me, but they're not Christian. So they're not somebody I can be with. And it really, I was just really struggling and it just caused me to, to really question and, and struggle. And I kind of told the guy, like, and he, I knew that he liked me as well. The, the feelings were mutual. I kind of told him like, you need to leave me alone. <laughs> I'm graduating soon. Oh, no. Um, bye. Um, but right before I graduated and left, um, I, I tried to, to reach out to somebody, um, to sort of help me with, with my struggles, um, and the serious doubts that I was having. And I really wanted to go to somebody that I felt like not to be mean, but like was actually smart. <laughs> not like that guy who gave that <laughs> evolution talk. Um, right. Somebody with act who like has actual credentials and hopefully some yeah. critical thinking. Um, yeah. So there was a professor in in the department I was majoring in who I knew was religious, who was Christian. Like they they weren't super overt about it, but it was like there's like stuff on their personal class website and also they would wear a cross. So I knew that they were Christian and I didn't have this professor. I wasn't in their class, um, but I just reached out to them over email and was like, can I just talk to you about religion stuff? And some stuff happened. I don't want to get into it because I don't want to reveal this professor's identity, but eventually they, they were like, okay, you can come talk to me. And so I went and talked to them and basically was like, Hey, I'm just having some really serious doubts. And I feel, I feel bad about that. Like, how are you, like, how do you deal with these doubts? And like, can you impart some wisdom on me? And they were really nice. They're like, I feel like God has called me to be in your life and guide you. And they told me their sort of like life story, which was basically they were brought up sort of religious, but they didn't really believe. And they were a horrible person, you know, living in sin until one day they kind of snapped out of it, realized that they were destined for hell unless they changed their ways. And then that caused them to like be super serious about their religion. And now they're like on fire for God, which I, I thought was really weird. And I've actually heard that kind of narrative before, like people who basically their conversion story was like, Oh, I was a terrible person. Um, but then I realized I needed to stop. So then I became a Christian and I was kind of like, okay, but I'm not a terrible person. <laughs> like, yeah, like I can't relate to that. Like I don't feel like, you know, I'm doing all this, this horrible stuff, but 
so they, they didn't really give me like any good advice but they were like tell you what i will go through and read the bible with you they they had they said that they would buy me this this sort of like book which was like a sort of study guide for reading the bible i think maybe it started in the new testament but it was like this thing where read read the bible in a year um mm-hmm. and they said that they would buy it for me which was very generous of them and then they would read through it with me and um the bible that i was reading through at that time was the macarthur study bible <laughs> oh yeah yes which is like a I, I don't even know a version of the Bible it is, but it's basically annotated with all of John MacArthur's notes and all of his takes on, on passages yeah. and stuff. Um, so this was right before I graduated. So I graduated and then this study Bible finally arrives um, where I was living post-grad and, and I start going through it with this professor and they're really nice. I, told them what I read and like sort of what I what I thought about it and we correspond by email and then everything is going fine I'm still sort of shaken up from what had happened right before I graduated I still really missed that guy that I had become close with and then one day I read a passage and I don't even remember what passage it was exactly, but it basically had to do with Calvinism, I guess. Um, And I guess that John MacArthur is a Calvinist. Um, And basically it was like, oh, like God knows everything that's going to happen. Like God knows who is destined for heaven and who is destined for hell already. And I think this was further sort of detailed in like the, the John MacArthur's like notes, like, yes, God knows exactly what's going to happen and there's nothing you can do to change it. And that really like struck me as being somewhat problematic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'd never really thought that hard about it before, but yeah, that is sort of a, like, if God knows everything that's going to happen, like, but he doesn't do anything about it. Like, So I was confused and I end up like highlighting that passage and sending it back to that professor sort of being like, Hey, what is your take on this? Because to me, it seems like this is saying that like, we're already, we're all playing like a rigged game and it's just really unfair. And this professor was like, Oh no, no, no. Like that. It can't be like, that i i don't have the best way to explain it but i'm sure like god is very fair god's ways may be mysterious but like god has to be fair um and then they said that they would sort of like ask their pastor at their church what they thought of it so then i get another email from them and then my that professor is kind of freaking out apparently like the pastor at their church was also a, a Cal, an extreme Calvinist and was like, no, no, that is right. Like, that's true. Like yeah. there's nothing that you can, can do if you're destined for hell or if you're not one of, I, for, I don't even know what the terminology is, but like, yeah, like you're, you're either destined for heaven or destined for hell. Nothing you can do about it sucks if you're destined for hell. And that understandably like really 
uh, upset my professor and they were like they keep kept sending me emails as they like sort of were trying to like work i wasn't even like responding at this time um that they were sort of like wrestling with their their pastor and they were even saying like i may might even have to go to a different church because of this because clearly it was really it was something they weren't able to wrap their head around either and i i felt really shocked <laughs> that you know this this is a person with like a phd that i thought you know was really smart and they had never thought about never free will and like calvinism right. you know like not to be mean though, but like, I was like, man, I, how have you never thought of this before? Like, how has that never bothered right. you? Right. Um, but I also just felt so guilty because it was never my intention to like rock their yeah. world like that and like upset yeah. them and make them have to switch churches. So I felt- You sent really, them into an existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, they, they really were. And it's like, I went to them because I was having a crisis. Yeah. And it's like, right. oh my God, it's like contagious or something. So I felt really, really- kind of is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> the more you read the Bible, the, the more problematic it becomes. So, yeah. Yeah. So I felt bad and it was awkward. So oh, I no. just sort of was like, okay, don't worry about me and this like whole reading the Bible plan yeah. thing. Like, I'm good. Just, I'm sure like you will figure things out. And so I sort of just was like, you don't have to keep emailing me anymore. He's a Satanist now. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what is up with that professor. Cause they, they did, they like, they stopped. I thought maybe they would be like, no, I we can still keep, but no, they just were like, yeah. okay. They, I guess, yeah, yeah. realized they had other things to really, to deal with. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that really. Well, good for you though. That's, that, I mean, I think I see that as a positive thing. You know, <laughs> you, you, you broadened his perspective. Yeah. The student became the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing about teaching, right? Um Yeah. I got to send you my book because there's a story that's very similar to that. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like you're living my book. and Wow. It's, it's blowing my mind. Um, okay, hold on. Did you notice that I made an assumption about the mystery professor? I kept referring to Kay's professor as he because, I don't know, I think I thought I heard, I heard her refer to them as he at the beginning of the story, but she's trying to protect this person's identity and she never says whether it's he. So when I listened back, I heard Kay talk about when the professor presumed that he or she was called to mentor her. And that kind of sealed it for me. I, that has to be a dude, right? To be so narcissistic and potentially predatory, but thank God it didn't go in that direction. But my presumption was, was a poor one because Kay never refers to this professor as a, as a man. So that's on me. And apparently it's on my mind, still sometimes colonized by patriarchy. And I apologize for that. I mean, it might be a dude, but Kay, to her credit, never says either way. Shame on me. The good thing is it's time for the big finish.
Okay, yeah, sorry, keep going. Uh, <laughs> so this was a big moment for you in your deconstruction, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I had already been on really shaky ground before that. Like, I was really desperate when I reached out to this professor who didn't know me um, for help. And I had felt really reassured when they had promised to, like, go through everything with me and sort of be there to guide me and mentor me. So when this whole thing imploded, I just felt so bad and so guilty and so lost and so alone. And, you know, the term dark night of the soul is really accurate for what happened to me over the next few months. Mind you, I'm working my first real job as I'm going through all of this. So it's a stressful time. The, the way that I would have described this p- short period of my life, it was maybe like a few months previously before I had the proper vocabulary for it. The only way I would have been able to describe it would be to say that I went crazy or like I had a mental breakdown because that's really what it felt like. Now that I've done a little bit more research, I'm a little more educated. The term that I would use would be scrupulosity, which are you familiar with that term? No. So it's a specific type or manifestation of obsessive compulsive disorder that specifically has to do with religion. So being really worried, having extreme anxiety and obsessive thoughts related to religion and whether or not you're going to heaven or hell or whether or not like you're good enough. Um, I was having that to like an, an extreme degree. Like if you were just to Google scrupulosity and look at like the list of symptoms, I was experiencing all of that to an extreme degree. I was sleeping like two hours a night because I would just wake up because I felt like I needed to pray and like pray for God to to give me faith because I was so scared that, oh, I have these doubts. That must mean I don't really believe. It must mean I'm going to hell. And also being so depressed and feeling all of this anguish that like everyone around me was also destined for hell. Like if they weren't taking it as seriously as I was, then they're definitely going to hell. And it's so hard for me to like remember what that was like because I'm so far from, from where I was, but it was, I was in utter mental anguish and I kept like, like praying for faith. Like if, if God could intervene in Paul's life, you know, Paul in the Bible who was like persecuting Christians, if Paul, if, if God could just interrupt Paul's life, make him go blind and like kind of force him to believe and become a Christian. Like, why couldn't that happen to me? If it prevented Paul from like going to hell, you know, then it's a good thing he went through that. And I just felt so bad that it just wasn't there. And I kind of didn't want it to be there because the idea of hell was so 
awful to me and it seemed really unfair, but for some reason I was supposed to accept that it was fair. And I didn't have a church to go to at this time or anyone to talk to. And I would be like obsessively watching like YouTube videos of like atheist versus Christian debates, like hoping that I would hear an argument that would convince me. Um, And I would, I don't know if they're still on YouTube, but there is this thing called like the Veritas Forum, which is like at Mm -hmm. Ivy Leagues, like people would give talks. Um, And I, so I would like watch these videos obsessively, like hoping that the religious side would be more convincing and (laughs) It never was. It never was, right? It never was. I like, and I was going in like giving it, you know, the biggest benefit Every, of the doubt, like wanting right. to be on the religious speaker's side, but then being like, yeah, but your argument is just bad. <laughs> and this Aww. was just causing so much anguish for me. I mean, like I was literally thinking like I had to constantly be praying and be perfect or else God wouldn't listen to my prayers. I mean, it was, it was really bad. I mean, it it definitely is a type of OCD, which I've never suffered from at any other point in my life. So this was totally because of my religious upbringing. And as I was suffering and going through all of this, so during this time I was living with my older sister, my older sister has the same upbringing as me. Um, but I think also, or at that, she wasn't super religious and I kind of knew that, but I didn't know exactly what she believed. It also freaked me out that maybe she was going to hell. Um, and one day I was, we had gone to, we had gone on like a little day trip together and I was in so much anguish at this time, but I was hiding it from her because I came from a family where we don't talk about our feelings to each other. It would have just been weird. But I kind of like was so desperate to tell somebody how I was feeling that I was I was kind of telling her like, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes like, have you ever thought about like certain philosophical arguments? Like maybe the Bible isn't perfect in the absolute word of God. And my sister is very smart. She went to Berkeley and she was like, oh yeah, I've totally like had those thoughts before. I took philosophy classes in college to sort of explore those things. And, you know, I I think I just realized that like, yeah, I don't really believe a lot of those things that we were brought up to believe. And she just seemed so like chill about it. (laughs) Um, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily super easy decision for her to make, but she was at like, at that time she was sort of at peace with her decision decision or like with where she was. And she was like, you know, I still believe in God, but I just have like, I, I don't think that like everything that we were taught growing up is, is exactly right. And this made the biggest difference to me. Like I had watched all these videos and heard all these arguments for people who were Christian and became atheist and I didn't let any of those convince me, but hearing my sister basically just admit that she had somewhat deconstructed made it feel like I was finally able to be like, yeah, I don't believe. 
and that's okay. Um, and I think it's because my sister came from the same, like she knew exactly what I believe because we were raised the same. We're pretty close in age. So it was really a big deal for me to hear that, you know, she wasn't a hardcore Christian anymore, but she was still a theist. And once that happened, I felt like, okay, maybe I can like admit that I don't believe. And it was scary to do that. I felt like, like a lightning bolt was going to come out of the sky and like zap me or like yeah. punish me. And then I'd have to be like, Oh no, never mind. I, I do believe yeah. like, sorry, <laughs> like God was yeah testing me, but that never happened. I, I thought that I would really miss it, but I never did. It, it was like, once that happened, bam, everything was just better. And I have never looked back since. <laughs> and yeah, it was so yeah. extreme. But getting through that, I was able to just shed everything completely. Like I know a lot of people talk about they still harbor like a fear of hell. Like if they're brought up, especially like, like me, that has never bothered me since I had a way more bigger fear of hell when I was a Christian than now yeah. as, as an atheist. And and that's another thing I completely, I'm just atheist. I don't even say agnostic. I kind of think those terms mean the same thing, practically speaking, but yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't even have any kind of, theistic leaning anymore um yeah haven't looked back yeah. since do you think that scrupulosity period was sort of your psyche saying goodbye to faith that was like so when you got to that point with your sister it was just like this deep out you know breathing out of like relief but you went through like all the trauma of separating yourself from it maybe through that period yeah yeah it, it was really really intense um like and I kind of think like I was brought up in such an ex extreme kind of religion that there was no sort of middle ground I mean obviously my sister somehow found a way to you know not completely become an atheist like me but like for me, it was like you were you either believed this really specific set of constrained beliefs or just not. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I kind of maybe if I had been brought up in a more liberal version of Christianity, like that yeah. believed that the Bible wasn't perfect and women could be pastors, um, <laughs> maybe this never would have happened. Like, and I would still be just a liberal Christian now, but it's like, Mm -hmm. Some of the stuff that I was taught was just so crazy that it was only a matter of time before I had to confront it. And for me, it just happened to be very sudden because I was trying to hold on to it so hard and and be that good Christian and like prove to people that I wasn't going to be that statistic of people who deconvert when they go to a secular school. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. I, I have to break in here and prepare you for something 
big in in Kay's story, <laughs> as if we needed anything bigger than what we've already heard. But it it makes me think like life is filled with surprises, good and bad. And man, after hearing her huge realization, after all that she's been through, it would be natural to hope for something good to happen to someone like Kay, who had been through so much. So, yeah. Did you ever get in touch with the the boy? <laughs> yeah. That ship sail. Oh. No. Oh. Happy ending. We've been married for three years now. Hey, I was wait. Oh my god, I've been waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. Did I did I spoil the end? Oh. No, no, no. I mean, I like basically got back in touch with him after that, and he had so. My husband, he, like I said, he grew up religious, but he, like, he grew up in a Korean church, and I think those tend to be Presbyterian, which is just not yeah. as hardcore as No, Baptist. but the Koreans do church in their own intense way. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, but it's a different kind of intensity than what you had, but it's a cultural intensity for sure. Yeah, like, um, it's more of a cultural yeah. thing. Um, yeah. I remember asking him about, like, the rapture and I was like were you ever taught about the rapture like people would just disappear one day and he was like no that's what are you talking about and I was like yeah you just we did not grow up the same um so yeah. he, it's hard for him to I've sort of told him about this but I think he he doesn't really understand how intense it was for me and I wasn't talking to him while I was going through all of that um, okay we didn't really have any idea but yeah um I like, I think that night after I talked to my sister, I like messaged him and was like, hey, I know I said that I was kind of like cutting you out of my life, but changed my mind. And uh, we sort of actually started actually dating and then we got engaged and yeah, been married for three years now. Aww. <laughs> so I still uh, have uh. only only dated one person and I did end up marrying them. Which is sort of, I guess, the Christian ideal, but yeah, that just—it's just a coincidence. <laughs> I don't stand by yeah, doing yeah. that. No, sure, sure, sure. It's just how it worked out for you. Yeah, but I'm glad. I mean, that's yeah. No, that. So you've not told this whole story before on to your friends, family. Nope. No. The only person is my husband, sort of. But like I said, he didn't really. I think it was hard for him to really grasp like the intensity and he still is like it, it's really hard for people who didn't grow up like this extreme conservative fundamentalist to really understand how cra batshit crazy some of the stuff that we were taught like like talking snakes and young earth creationism and like the fossils just being lies by scientists and like so I think it's he he doesn't really understand how how far I've come because he he only knew me like more towards the end of that that journey. Yeah. Um but yeah my well, if, if he listens to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know if he will maybe. <laughs> Aww, um, I hope he does yeah. because th this is it, it's a huge part of who you are. Yeah. So regardless of how we go forward from here um it's always going to be there in contrast to, to how we are today. So now that you don't have God in your life, um, 
I assume you murder people. You uh, <laughs> you steal whenever you want, and uh, yeah, because that's what happens, that right? Without God, <laughs> that was the only thing keeping us from just going off the deep end, pillaging, murdering. Yeah, so it's fun though. It's fun pillaging and murdering. It's um, honestly, yeah. I think I'm actually a better person now. I don't know right? if, you can, if you could, yeah. Write, but it's like hell yeah. If and if like I'm. I've always been, you know, like a good law abiding person Um, (laughs) that hasn't changed, but I just have so much more empathy for people now because when I was a Christian, there were things where like, I don't know, sort of things that we would excuse because there must, well, God must have a, a reason for that. Like, yeah. Like slavery, for example, (laughs) I was told growing up, like, well, all the slaves were like at war, all like the African tribes were at war in Africa. So it really didn't make any difference that some were like captured and brought as slaves to America. And then at least in America, they got to hear the gospel. Right. And it's like, no, (laughs) no. Like, no. just because bad things were happening to them in Africa doesn't mean that right. that makes slavery. Like, what? Yeah. And it just, makes them feel better about it. So, <laughs> yeah. And it's just like this sort of idea that, like, well, God works in mysterious ways. So, even right. those things that seem really in, unjust must have some yeah. purpose. For his greater God's, purpose. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, no, things are just bad because things are bad. And we as humans, it's upon us to recognize that and try to do something about it and not just be like, well, God will work it all out in the end. Or, you know, God was just this sort of like, you know, idea of, well, there will be some poetic justice at the end. God will take care of it where it's like, no, we, we have to take care of it in this one life that we have where there's so much injustice in the world and it's not just going to work itself out at, at the end. Um, so yeah, it's made me a much more empathetic person. Um, there are, there are downsides though. It's not like becoming an atheist and giving up your faith, like everything is better. Like, obviously I'm, I do think it's overall better, but there are, there are other certain things that, um, you have to deal with. Like when I was a Christian, I remember the idea of global warming didn't scare me because I was like, well, obviously God isn't going to let the world like die. He's going to rapture everybody. And and also the world can't flood because God promised Noah that would never happen. And that's why rainbows exist. And like, oh my God, it's so cringy and embarrassing (laughs) that that's what I used to, but that was how I rationalized it. Right now it's like, great. Now I have climate anxiety. <laughs> now this is right. like, God isn't just going to fix everything. And it's, it's scary. Like there isn't, you know, some magical, you know, deity yeah. out there well, that's just going to come save us all. We have to do it our, on our own. And yeah. that's scary. Yeah. We used to have a safety net. It was an imaginary safety net, but we thought it was there. And yeah. And so- it really wasn't that great of a safety net because it's right. like well why did god like let this happen in the first right. place 
<laughs> like, right. especially if God is all knowing and all powerful. So yeah. if you thought about it too hard, it wasn't even a good safety net, but it was right. People always used it as it was something. As yeah. 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 The, I think the term is theodicy. Yeah. Mm. Um, where is, is God all knowing and evil <laughs> or is he not all knowing or, you know, it's, it's all these, the, the contradictory nature of this supposed loving God. And, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you want to get theologians yelling at each other and arguing, you just throw that out there and just watch the <laughs> room descend into chaos. Um, yep. But here we are. And I'm so glad you told the story because it's it wasn't that long ago for you. It's We're talking less than 10 years ago, right? Um, yeah, it's, and, yeah, I think, seven years. Okay. And I, after... I deconverted and accepted that I was an atheist. Like I immediately knew that I didn't want that to be like my whole personality. Like right. the people that right. I was watching on YouTube that had like atheist accounts where right. they just talk about atheism. Like, atheist. yeah, this is this is not like now that I'm not a Christian, I can pursue things that are secular without guilt now. Like right. I don't have to pretend that Christian music is good or that Christian <laughs> movie. Like I can, I can without guilt explore like my career, my passions in life. And the way that I was brought up, I mean, kind of the crazy thing is that I was brought up t- to sort of think that, that, that scrupulosity mindset that I had been in was technically the right mindset if you really believe that this life is super fleeting nothing really matters and that our afterlife is eternal and that could be eternally being tortured then you really should be obsessed with doing everything that you possibly can to get to heaven and you should just forget about marriage career like you should just yeah you know you would be like walking around on the sidewalk with one of those signs being like repent turn or burn that's what those people are going through that's why i feel kind of bad when i see when i see those people because i was like man i've been there um and that's kind of like i know some people in my family are still in that mindset and it kind of makes me sad because it i'm so glad that i deconverted when I did because I feel like I didn't lose out that much on life like it didn't affect who I married yeah you're still young too yeah and you got a whole wonderful life hopefully ahead of 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 you to to figure figure it out to to go where it leads yep yeah that's beautiful well thanks for telling your story that's and I think for getting in touch with me Thank you for for letting me. I know it was it was really out of the blue, but um, you know, especially with like the scrupulosity that I yeah. went through, if I really just wanted to to tell my story in case anybody else has gone through that, because I know it's it's really scary and it's really or is going hard. through it right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if people who are a lot of people who are deconstructing listen to your podcast but in case they do mm-hmm. like I don't want them to feel scared because that's so much of what I felt or feel guilty like you're not a bad person if you are experiencing doubt um, so that was mostly why I wanted to to share 
Oh, I'm glad you did. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Scrupulosity. It's a thing. It seems that religion is kind of a psychological disorder to some medical professionals, or at least it can be when done very poorly. If you've ever felt some kind of religious convictions or guilt, you can probably relate to a lot of Kay's story. And hearing about how she went through a kind of withdrawal syndrome or like the bends when a diver comes up to the surface too quickly, your heart kind of breaks. But her mind was at war with her ingrained faith. And fortunately, her brain and her heart won. And she regained her relationship with the man who is now her husband. And I can't stop smiling about that. I'm also smiling at the feeling that I'm just so fortunate to have Kay come here and tell her story for the first time. I hope you feel as inspired as I do by hearing it. So thanks to Kay for contacting me and chatting a bit and then deciding to come on and tell her story again for the first time. Uh, I hope it was helpful to her as she moves forward from that previous life of faith. And I hope it, it helps all of you. Yeah. So we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks for listening. And I hope you all have a great week. And I hope to see some of you in Seattle or Portland, uh, I guess, this week. See you next time. 